This is Drop Tent Media Network. How you doing? This is Neil Wood from the Cult of Us podcast, speaking on behalf of Drop Tent Media Network, the network you're currently listening to. Make sure to check out all the other podcasts on the network. You can go to droptent.com to check them all out. Make sure to like, subscribe on everything that you see Drop Tent on. We appreciate it. Go to droptent.com now. Hey, we got a great episode with you for yep, yep, yep. 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 I'm gonna start that over. Hey, we got a great episode for you today. I got two guests today. I got Sam, who is an undocumented student out of the University of Illinois. And also we have Enrique, a DACA recipient living in Utah. He's part of the ABIC Action, a group that's trying to bring about immigration reform. They're both here to talk to me about the work permit initiative. We're here to work. Uh, it's a rally on November 14th in front of the White House where they're pushing Joe Biden to give work permits to the 11 million undocumented people in the U.S. He can do this unilaterally. Unilaterally? Don't cut that. We're going to leave that in. Unilaterally, okay? This isn't my first language. But these two people brought information. They brought their personal stories. And they brought hope, something that the immigrant community and the undocumented undocumented community doesn't have a lot of. So um, you're going to love this episode. Check it out. Uh, my undocumented ass podcast with Che Guerrero. The winds really change talk. in one direction. They got to harass someone else. I get it. I exactly. get it. Like people don't realize how just one little access can literally change a whole family's life. We're just going to get right into it. I'm not I'm not really that professional. I don't have like an intro like that. I'm just going to talk to you guys. Ah, The intro will be later on. Um, but yeah, I'm here talking to two people uh, who are involved with the work permit for all campaign that is uh being put on by the resurrect the resurrection project november 14th in front of the white house planning to to ask biden to give work permits to the 11 million undocumented people is that right is that is that what we're doing i'll make sure i'm, I'm giving people the facts here enrique that's what we're doing yes sir cool you guys you guys want to tell me how you got involved a little bit with this project and what you hope to get out of it we'll start with uh we'll start with enrique and then we'll, we'll move over to sam Definitely. Yeah. So my name is Enrique Sanchez. I am the Intermountain State Director for the American Business Immigration Coalition Action. We are a bipartisan group that um, works in uh, about 19 states around the country now. We uh, um, focus on immigration reform on a federal level, but also on state issues. And so um, we have worked on driving driver's licenses as well as in state tuition. Um, and on a federal level, we have worked in the past on legislative action uh, that would um, help us towards our mission of uh, the do- uh, citizenship for the 11 million undocumented. Um, so with gridlock happening in Congress currently, uh, we don't see any pathway for any form of solutions uh, through Congress. And so um, what we have discovered is that there is a already existing law that the president of the United States has the ability to expand parole as well as um, work authorization for undocumented immigrants who have been living in our country for decades contributing to the economy. And so I myself am a DACA recipient. Um, I grew up in Utah. And so this is an issue that hits really close to home, both for myself, my family and my friends. And so um, I've, I, I, along with our organization, ABIC, have been working on the Here to Work campaign. And uh, through this, have met Sam as well. Yeah. Sam, tell me a little bit about your background and just sort of how you you got into this. 
Yeah, so I'm a student at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, and I'm part of an organization called ICAUSE, and we pretty much like help undocumented students here. And I love the organization. We've done a lot of like help with like fundraising, scholarships. We've done our own rallies here. Um, but Andy actually reached out to us and she's like, hey, this is what I'm planning on doing. Do you guys want to be a part of it? We're like, of course. Um, I think that this is like the first time that ICOS has been able to be a part of something larger than just like helping like on a local level. Um, and additionally, like just for myself, I'm an undocumented student. So obviously this affects me. I'm super excited to be a part of it. That's cool. Yeah. Cause, um, yeah, you know, Enrique having, you know, DACA or whatever, it's on the, it's on the, unfortunately, you know, it's on the chopping block right now. We don't know what the decision is going to be. Do you know sort of what's, what's happening with DACA right now? What the next step is for that? Yeah. So, um, as it has been in prior years, it's been, you know, in the courts, um, Fortunately, DACA has survived um, since the prior administration tried to completely remove it. Um, and so those of us who were grandfathered into the program, like myself, we have been able to continue to um, renew our, our two-year work permits. But then we have, um, you know, younger uh, undocumented students like Sam, who unfortunately were unable to apply for the program since the former um, administration ended that. And so um, where we are now is that um, I believe it was in the fifth district court. Um, and we anticipate that the Supreme Court will uh, take it up and uh, make a decision in the spring of 2025. Um, we are anticipating that it's going to be a negative decision. Um, and so that is why we are continuing to advocate for uh, uh, solutions that are going to be more long-term versus a solution that like DACA, um, while it has provided some relief to uh, undocumented folks like myself, um, you know, unfortunately we live in limbo every year with it being in the courts. And so um, that's where it is right now sitting in the courts. And so hopefully, um, you know, something positive will come, but uh, considering the build of build the buildup of the Supreme Court, we anticipate that it'll be a negative decision. I didn't know it was going to be 2025. I mean, this is just me speaking for myself. This does not represent any of the views of the organization that I have here today. But um, in the next two years, I mean, maybe we, you know, a couple of uh, judges can like, you know, retire or be gone from this earth. So there could be a chance, you know, hopefully, you know, get some nominees in there that are a little more, you know, Democrat or whatever, you know, uh, in the courts. But again, we can't hope on that. We got to just look at worst case scenario that they could like, you know, reverse the the whole program and and what is it like 600,000 people who work like for schools and our teachers and and doctors stuff like that are now going to have no way to to continue to work exactly and you know as if the program is ended as you mentioned i believe the estimate is 600,000 to 800,000 of us um that would be you know for the next 24 months after it would be ended that would mean that you, we would all be leaving the the workforce as our permits expire and when we are already experiencing a significant labor shortage in every single industry in this country that would be detrimental both to the economy and the country as a whole yeah well yeah yeah that's absolutely true sam um so you you weren't able to apply for daca is it is it because of the age or is it because the program was like uh, closed off by the time you you wanted to apply like what was the situation with you 
Yeah, the program was closed off by the time I wanted to apply. So when it was still like open, I wasn't eligible because I'm pretty sure the one of the requirements is that you have to have resided in the United States for like, I want to say five years. Is that correct, Enrique? Or since like a certain date and I yeah, didn't fit that requirement. Yeah, is it a certain date or a certain like time period you have to be in here in the country? I'm pretty sure both. Right? Yeah, I think it's a mix of both. I think there's a specific cutoff date. Um, and then you also were required to provide um, like documentation that you were actually in this country for X amount of years. Uh, and so that's through like medical records and other very official documents that you had to provide. Oh, okay. So yeah. this, yeah. So DACA wouldn't even have been really of service to you. Yeah, it wouldn't have. Okay. Do you want to like, I, I always wanted to get into like the story or anything like that, you know, so people can know, learn more about like our situations. Sam, do you want to tell me a little bit about like your upbringing and where you came from and stuff like that? Yeah. So I immigrated to Illinois when I was two years old with my parents and my older sister. And we like lived here for some time, but uh, we were really poor. And my dad, he, both of my parents are also undocumented. And my dad, he broke his back at a factory that he was working at. And he didn't get any like rec recompensions or like, because um, he's undocumented. So yeah. uh, he, for some time, he didn't work. He did physical therapy. Um, like we weren't able to like live here properly because of that. My mom was working a lot. Um, and then she got pregnant. So that just made things even harder. So my dad decided to go back to Mexico um, by himself. And then after a year, we obviously missed him. We were like, let's just all go back. So we decided to go back to Mexico. Um, and then after three years, we came back. And that's like one of the main reasons why I couldn't apply for DACA, because during the time that I was in Mexico, that's when DACA started. So when I came back, I wasn't eligible for it anymore. Um, and neither was my sister. And then when we were here, um, my dad got banned from coming back into the United States. Uh, they gave him a 10 year punishment. So I haven't been able to see him in eight years. Uh, neither has my mom or my sister. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about my background and why like this is really important for me. Damn, that's that's so messed up. Like your dad got hurt while working yeah. for a company here in the U.S. No compensation, no workman's comp, nothing like that, and then left him on his own to have to to go back home. Yeah. Damn, I'm so, I'm really sorry. See, and that's why, like, that's where I want people to understand, like, especially with immigration, it's all about like these date and time and history that they put on. I remember uh, my mom came to the U.S. like just maybe a month or two after uh reagan passed amnesty in the 80s so not 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 that you should do this but i'm saying like at that time there were people who were like we can like get you papers to say you were here five years ago you know what i mean and my mom was like nah i don't want to do that that's a very big risk i mean there wasn't like that much technology so i think maybe she might have gotten away with it but it was like this all this arbitrary date that she came in like just a few months from the cutoff of when reagan gave the amnesty which is like insane like you know what i mean like our whole family would have been on a totally different trajectory if she would have been able to apply yeah it's really frustrating <laughs> you know what about uh what about you Do you want to tell me a little bit about uh your background and sort of how how you got here and everything yeah definitely um i i have seen and experienced like 
the way immigration impacts a lot of families in, in different aspects. And um, in a way, it's affected my life in every single aspect. But uh, to begin with, my, my father was a former agriculture worker. He was coming to the United States um, uh, very frequently, both to like to come work and provide money for us back in Mexico. Um, and so he was actually picking fruits and vegetables when I was born. So he missed my birth because of it. Um, and so when he, when I turned two, he decided to move us out here. And so actually this, um, this month is our 23rd anniversary here in the United States. Um, and so it's just crazy to think that, you know, we've been in this country for so long contributing and whatnot, and we're still on square one with no solutions. Yet my parents, myself, and my siblings have, you know, contributed immensely both to our communities, but also to the economy. Um, and so the reason that we ended up in, in Utah um, was, as I mentioned, when I was two, it's when my dad decided to move us out here with him. Um, and it was in anticipation of the 2002 Winter Olympics that Salt Lake City was hosting. And there were just several um, jobs that were, uh, you know, available in, in hospitality and the restaurant association uh, in the restaurant industry. And so, um, this is, that's why we moved to Utah and, um, I've, you know, had a very fortunate upbringing here in, in, in Utah. And, um, when I was able to apply for, uh, DACA, I really had just like the perfect timeline in terms of the age that you were eligible to apply, um, was when, when I was, when I applied, and so then when I uh, began working, um, it was under my DACA work permit. And so I never had to, um, you know, fortunately work under the table or work um, with, with fake documentation, um, which allowed me to, to really save up and, and, and use that money for, for college. Uh, and fortunately, here in the state of Utah, we have access to in-state tuition. So okay. undocumented students like myself are able to pay in-state uh, tuition, which uh, it, had I not had that opportunity, I definitely would not have been able to afford college. Um, one of the great advantages of um, DACA as well is the AP, which is Advanced Parole, uh, which mm -hmm. is a type of, of document that allows um, a DACA recipient to leave the country for uh, humanitarian reasons or educational purposes. And so when I was a senior in high school, um, I was able to apply for that program and do a foreign exchange in France for uh, four months. Wow. Um, and so, you know, my last entry into this country was through advanced parole, which is considered a legal entry. And so um, that is one of the things that holds back a lot of people from being able to adjust their status uh, when an opportunity presents itself. So for example, um, it's a common misconception that by simply marrying a U.S. citizen, you are able then to get a green card. Um, and that's actually not true. We actually have uh, mixed status families all around the country who are split up because um, one of them is documented and the other one's a citizen. And so um, what this would do, what this program would do is it would provide uh, parole in place where a uh, uh, spouse or a child of a U.S. citizen would be able to remain in the country um, and have a work authorization to continue to to work legally um, while their documentation is in process. But um, you know, because of uh, movies that we see in Hollywood and um, shows such as 98 Fiance, we assume that you know just by 
marrying someone is a, is an easy pathway to citizenship, which is not true. And so, um, you know, not only are we advocating for the long-term contributing immigrants, but we're also advocating for the mixed status families, just like Sam, who, you know, unfortunately her father isn't in this country, um, which affects both her and her family, but also, you know, that's an additional worker who would be in her community contributing to their labor force. And so um, that's, that's the people who we are uh, fighting for solutions. Thank you. And yeah, that's a, that's the thing too about this work permit for all campaign. It's also like, it won't just give work permits. It also give people like, uh, like you said, like parole in place and give them, you know, say now that they've entered the U S you know, with authorization so they could apply for other statuses should they get married or, or anything like that. So that's, that helps out, like you said, it helps out a lot of people in various ways, not just giving them work permits. It also gives them a pathway to a different status or maybe even citizenship if they wind up getting married because now they have that, oh, I've been, I've had that unauthorized, you know, being in the country unauthorized, you know, dismissed. So that's a, that's right. a, another great thing to do this for, mm-hmm. you know, I'm also really, uh, I didn't mean to, I, I kind of find it funny that like your whole future was dependent on where the Olympics were like that year. So like if it had been in like Atlanta, you would be like a completely different person. <laughs> all right. Exactly. So, you know, yeah, that, no, I'm, that's just how we do it. We go, right? we go. For, yeah, yeah. We all, we, that's what our family do. You know, they're going for the economics of it. You know, we went to New York city cause in the nineties, it was still affordable to live there. We had enough of a support group in Washington Heights, you know, DR 2.0. And that's what we did. So we went up there for a while until we got settled in and, and then, you know, trying to figure out our status and stuff like that. Um, I was going to ask, yeah, Sam, like with you, I guess, you know, it's kind of like for both of you, you know, just to tell people like, what are some of the difficulties that you had, you know, growing up undocumented? Like, you know, because people always are always shocked. Like, well, I'm like, I couldn't get a driver's license. So I lived in New York. So I actually, I have family out in Illinois. They're out in Yorkville. Uh, So I have family out there. So I had to go to Illinois to get a driver's license and come back to New York. And I had to renew it every year. So like, I don't, I have no tolerance for people who complain about the DMV. Like, oh, I had to spend all morning. Like, I had to spend an entire weekend traveling to Chicago to get a driver's license. All right. Like, don't come at me with that nonsense. Like, what are some of the issues you kind of like faced, you know, trying to get education, driver's license or anything like that, uh, you know, because of your status, lack of status? Yeah, I think like starting off since I was like a child, like, even just like baseline, like more like social issues. Like I remember like in my community, like my best friend's mom, like got deported just because she got in a car accident with a lady that just noticed her accent and was like, you're a Mexican, like I'm going to deport you. And just like that, she was deported. So I think just like little things like that, like realizing like that there's a fear in our community, like that I could get deported, my family could get deported. So I think even just that was already like a fear that like got instilled in my head, like from a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, the more like systematic issues has been like driver's license. Like um, I could get like uh, the TV, TVLD, um, but even that, that like isn't a, <clears throat> a proper form of like identification. Like I can't use that for like, like I struggled a lot to get uh, like a, my own like credit card or debit card. Like there's like a whole process for that because I don't have like uh, identification. Um, I can't like um, some other things that I struggled with was just like applying for college. Like I didn't have anyone to tell me like how am I supposed to apply for financial aid differently since I can't apply for FAFSA. Uh, I can't work. My my family's also low income, so just like 
the idea of like not being able to work or help out like has been like a barrier for me. And now that I'm in college, everyone's like applying for internships, getting jobs, getting fellowships, getting scholarships. Um, I can't apply for most scholarships, for most fellowships, most internships, just because I am not a U.S. citizen. Um, so I feel like just there's like little barriers throughout the way that make it like really hard to like wish to continue to like study and get a higher education and want to work. Um, and even just like not having like work authorization makes it hard for like me to have a clear like goal and plan for my like post uh, undergrad like decisions. Um, so those are like things that I've like struggled with. Yeah. Uh yeah, thank you for sharing because it, it's it is true. Like it's just these these milestones that you're supposed to hit as like you know as as an individual. You know, start working, start applying for things, and you're you're in college. Like you're in college with no idea what the next steps are. So you're kind of just taking the opportunities as they come for you. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah. It's it's scary. Like I that's that's actually like uh, I, I've talked about this before. This is why like. Uh, when I was 18, I actually got a scholarship to St. John University to become a doctor. You know, that was like, that was my goal. I always wanted to be a doctor. I went to a school in a low-income neighborhood. So I was, I wasn't like a prodigy in, in medicine, but I was pretty good for like, you know, a kid from the hood. Like I knew, you know, I knew my terminologies. I was doing well. I got a St. John University scholarship for it. And they asked me for my social. And I was just like, I'll be right back. I never came back. Like I was just cause you know what I mean? I didn't know, you know, this was like, this was 2005, 2006. So Google was just new. Like it wasn't, it hadn't hit peak Google yet. So you couldn't really like figure out like, how do I apply for these things? So that derailed me, you know, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a fortunate, I was undocumented people. We have to be survivors, man. We have to figure out what the next move is. So for me, the next move became stand-up comedy. You know what I mean? So I was like, you know, I found something, but I hate to hear stories of people like yourself who are in school and now you got to like, you know, I don't want you to get deterred, but so many things in your, in your way, so many obstacles are going to derail you, you know, when you're just trying to, what, what is, uh, what's your major? Like, what are you trying to get to? Um, I'm a political science major. Ah, perfect. Um, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> right yes. on the top. <laughs> I know. And like you would like to run for office at one point, right? Yeah, just like anything like government related, I can't. I can't you do can. that. Yeah. I, I feel your pain so hard because that's exactly what I wanted to do. Like when I became a citizen, I was like, I want to run for like, you know, House of Representatives. And they're like, you can't. Like you can't do that dream because you messed up too much as a kid. So now I have like issues where I can never become a citizen probably. So it's just like, I can never run for office. You know, every time somebody tells me like, man, you could be a politician. I'm like, stop bringing up my pain. Okay. Like <laughs> it's my pain that I can't do this. You know, it, it's also such a great way to keep the people who could actually bring change people from like the bottom, you know, like us undocumented, you know, like we understand what it's like not to have a right because we have we have to look to be like which rights do i have like which ones am i allowed to that's why freedom of speech i'm riding this train till the wheels fall off like i don't know what other what other freedom i have but freedom of speech freedom of the press you know you see me give papers to people but yeah but i feel you <laughs> i feel you uh, enrique what about you tell a little bit of like kind of like the obstacles you had like growing up and sort of where you know where it might have derailed you a few times yeah, I mean, very similar to you all. I mean, you know, we all have dreams as children. And unfortunately, 
those dreams just can't become reality because simply of our where we were born in a piece of paper. And so for me, um, I was fortunate enough to really have a positive um, interaction with law enforcement when I was young, where I uh, my elementary school had a uh, track meet and myself and another classmate were sent to the principal's office because we didn't have the correct running shoes. And our school resource officer put us in the back of his police car and took us to the local outlet and bought us brand new running shoes for us to be Mm. able to participate. And so that was kind of a very inspirational uh, thing for me. And it was something, you know, at that point that I wanted to do. I wanted to become a a law enforcement officer. And um, in high school, when everyone's, you know, kind of determining what they want to do in life, that was still at the top of my list. And unfortunately that's, you know, when everything just kind of starts really becoming reality, when you realize that your status isn't the same as your classmates sitting next to you, you know? And so um, I, when I graduated high school, I um, was determined that that's still what I wanted to do. And so when I went into college, I uh, had chosen criminal justice as my um, major um, hoping that when I finished that degree, things would be different nationally and I would be able to apply for mm. um, law enforcement. And so um, once I finished that degree, um, things hadn't changed yet. Um, and at that point, I was already working uh, a civilian role with uh, my local police department. Um, and I was very grateful to the chief of police um, and the other officers for really bringing me in and having me see the inside of a police department and how that works. And again, I was still just, you know, that was something I wanted to do. Um, and so after we we had legislation in, in the state here that would allow DACA recipients to become police officers, um, kind of became uh, the poster child for that. Um, and we were able to get it passed. Uh, the governor signed it, but unfortunately, Um, It ended up getting amended because um, federal law and firearms um, kind of, you know, the interpretation was that DACA recipients would not be able to carry out that uh, role because of we're not allowed to possess or own firearms. And so that's when I felt a little bit, you know, like I had reached the top of where I could in law enforcement. And um, like Sam, I had uh, chosen... um, political science for my next degree. And so once I graduated college and I was again let down because of my immigration status, um, I decided to do what I'm doing now, which is immigration reform. Um, Because the way I think about it is that, you know, I hope that the work we're doing today uh, will impact uh, the younger students who are are in school right now who have those dreams and will be able to carry out those dreams because, uh, you know, immigration won't be something that that derails their life and their career and dreams and aspirations. And so um, while I, I, you know, still am a a huge fan of uh, the profession itself and I still to this day see my police chief and every time he comes up to me and he asks if there's any updates, you know, and how he can help us on the force. Like it's just, it's crazy to me because like, you know, like all three of us, we all had dreams we all had aspirations and we're very um, we're very competent people who can take these positions. But, you know, because of these existing laws, we're unable to fully contribute to our communities the way that we um, would be able to if we simply were born here. 
And again, just to bring up the labor shortage, like when we're experiencing such a big labor shortage and we have 600,000 to 800,000 available bodies who are able to take these positions, mm-hmm. it's it's just crazy that we aren't being common sense, you know, like it's common sense to be able to allow um, these individuals to, to take these positions. I know that nurses are uneligible you know like people who are undocumented aren't even allowed to become nurses there's some states where you're not even allowed to become a barber and so like it's just it's ridiculous that again we have these able-bodied people able to to fill these roles and we don't allow them yet we turn around and complain about the service at the restaurant or the hours at the grocery store um because there's no one able to work it but we're here we have been working um, but we are unable to, you know, fully realize our potential because of, of our status. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I kind of feel like a little bit like kinder spirit with you guys. You got three, you got, you got, a, you got a lawyer, well, a politician on one side, you got a, a possible cop on the other, a possible cop, a doctor that they just lost out on. Okay. <laughs> they could have had us. We would have been exactly. great at our jobs. We'd have been great for our community, great in, in the medical field and making laws to change the country, but no, they're lost, yo. They're lost, you know, and now we're on different paths, but we're, we're, yeah. And that's, man, I, f- I feel you so, so much on that. I guess, um, got a, a few minutes here. I wanted to ask you both just sort of how you feel the political atmosphere is right now towards immigrants. You know, we haven't seen any legislation move. We haven't seen Biden promised, you know, that he would have our back. And it seems like, especially since the conflict happened between, you know, Hamas and Israel, it seems like it's only become even more of a scapegoating situation with Republicans being, in my opinion, you know, being vocal about wanting to hurt immigrants and the Democrats sort of feeling like they they want to do it quietly, you know, like without any kind of the ruckus. So how do you how do you uh, say like, how do you feel about the current, you know, it's a political science major. Like, how do you feel about the current situation happening for the immigrant community and the undocumented community? Yeah, I feel like in general, like not even just currently right now, like there's always been kind of this like precedent about like immigrants and it it always just being like pushed under the rug, Um, especially when it comes to like undocumented immigrants, like undocumented immigrants have been like pushing for rights for so long. And it's always been really hard to get any like create any change even with like Obama like it took like so long for him to be able to like like push DACA and even then he was like deporting so many undocumented immigrants at the time like his administration deported more undocumented immigrants than any other Um, so I think it's all just like really messy even when we look for support with like more democratic leaning um, politicians or presidents, they say one thing, but they don't really mean it or they don't really do enough. So I don't know. I think it's, it's always just been really like messy and I haven't seen as much as like as much support as I'd like on both sides. Yeah. What about you, Enrique? How do do you feel that the current climate is, you know, hindering us from doing what we have to do? I completely agree with Sam. I mean, like you mentioned, you know, the Democrats have always been vocal about helping uh, dreamers, specifically long-term immigrants. But when, you know, it's time for them to act, it doesn't happen. We, you know, the the Democrats had the House, they had the Senate, and they had the presidency for two years. Nothing happened. And so, you know, like, uh, this isn't a issue that we can blame on one party. Both parties have 
failed us immigrants. And it's, it's time that we, you know, work together in a bipartisan way to actually come up with solutions because immigration is not going anywhere. And it's important that we update our laws because, uh, you know, you mentioned the um, the amnesty back in uh, Reagan administration. Mm-hmm. That's the last significant piece of immigration legislation that this country has seen. That was back in the 80s. You know, it's been forever. And like mm-hmm. we our immigration laws need to be able to be updated to what we are seeing now. And, um, you know, the administration has. Um, provided some solutions for our um, immigrant brothers and sisters who are coming uh, to the U.S. right now from Venezuela, from Haiti, from Ukraine, Nicaragua, and we are so grateful for um, for for that those solutions. But it's also time that we provide solutions for the long-term immigrants who have been here for decades, contributing to this country, and it's really important that we stand together. Uh, as immigrants and and fight for each other's rights because that's the only way that we will be able to get stuff done if we continue to um you know separate ourselves and 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 be jealous or be you know uh, not be grateful for for the success of others that's how we continue to to remain on the bottom and so um you know i invite um our our brothers and sisters who uh, have our new Americans to this country and have the uh, opportunity to have a work authorization to stand alongside us, uh, our business leaders who are in so desperate need um, of of labor to also speak up for us, yeah. uh, and then also our neighbors and and you know like I, one of the things I've always said is that we are everywhere. We're your neighbors, we're your classmates, we're your coworkers, um, and. I've met people who have said, oh, I've never met a dreamer in my life. It's like, I'm sure you have. There's 600,000 to 800,000 of yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's 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 something that's very intimate. And so we're not going around shouting it on the mountaintops, but, um, you know, we, we're everywhere we exist. And without us, um, you know, the economy will suffer. Yeah. And it's also, you know, um, you were saying, you know, uh, and I hope I'm reading, leading into the right path here, you know, Biden has created you know, uh, TPS for Venezuelans, 550,000, you know, who came in just in this year can now apply for TPS and get work permits. Same thing with Ukraine. So this is where the idea of, no, Biden has unilateral power to create status for people. So, you know, they don't, you know, they can get work authorizations and they don't, you know, they don't get deported and, and, you know, they're not priorities for like, you know, ICE or whatever. So this is sort of where this idea came from. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So it's uh, through parole. Um, so it's under parole. Um, the uh, Venezuelans, the Ukrainians, Haitians have um, been able to uh, utilize humanitarian parole. Um, under that same program, there is a clause that's known as like the significant public benefit clause. Mm-hmm. And our argument is that the labor shortage that we are experiencing right now is a significant public issue. It's um, it's a matter of you know inflation, national security, um, the ability for the United States to be able to feed its own citizens in agriculture is very important. And so our our argument is that um, by expanding work authorization and parole to the long term immigrants who are already in this country will benefit us uh, nationally um, and and economically as well. Right. Yeah. And this is uh, and just to remind people. So this rally, this march that we're trying to do is on November 14th in front of the White House at 11 a.m. 
And we, yeah, and we're, we're hoping, we're hoping to get 5,000 people there. I mean, we would love to get more, you know, that we say the strength in numbers. So we're hoping to get 5,000 people there to show Biden, like, Hey, we're, you know, we're serious about this. We have a coalition that's serious about this. And, you know, we're not sure if he's going to get another term, you know, uh, I'm genuinely, genuinely worried about the next presidential election because people in this country love, love their Trump. They love their Trumpy. Uh, so, so I'm really like, this is a, this is a, a push that Biden can do for us without congressional approval. And it'll, you know, it'll help him at least keep for us feel like kept some kind of promise to help out undocumented people by giving them, giving 11 million people work authorizations. That's all we're asking for. Give us a chance, you know, and get out of our way. You know, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Uh, anything else about this March or anything before we get out of here that I've missed or uh, where we can find uh, your organizations so they can get more information? Please, please uh, share that with us. We'll start with uh, we'll start with Rika and then we'll go to Sam. Yeah, for sure. Um, so just I would like to highlight that the this March that uh, we're having on November 14th isn't going to be the last. Uh, thing you know this is really the beginning of a campaign and so um, if you're unable to join us on November 14th um, you, we would love to still uh, speak with you and, and see how we can uh, work in in the state that you live in um, our our uh, e, um, our website is abicaction.org uh, you can connect with us there uh, and and we can um, work with you on how how to continue to advocate for this specific campaign and for uh, common sense immigration solutions. Uh, we anticipate that this, um, uh, that this campaign will last about a year. Um, about a year from today, we'll be having those presidential elections. And so uh, we're hoping that um, by then we can have some formal solutions for um, the long-term immigrants who very much deserve it. Yeah. Oh man, I just realized you said, I was saying two years now, nah, man, he's got like, 15 months left if he doesn't get reelected. Like it's not even a full two years. Yeah, it's gotta be out by January. Uh hopefully he's not. Eh, it's a weird time. Um, but yeah, Sam, what about yourself? Where can we find more about your organization and and anything about the rally and the movement you want to tell us? Yeah, we have um social medias for like our committee. It's called Dreamers of Today. We have it on Facebook and on Instagram. And there you could like everyone can find more information about it. There's also going to be like a summit on the 13th. And there's also more information about it on our social medias. It's you're you're with dreamers dot of today. Yeah. OK, yeah, because I've been promoting that on my TikTok uh, for us to be able to go do a live. So if you're listening to this, please go on TikTok or Instagram dreamers dot of of today follow them so once they get to a thousand followers we can do a live and and answer questions that people might have about the you know the march and the on the ongoing campaign and and you know how feasible all it is because it's doable it's doable it's got to put the right pressure on biden and uh yeah i just heard that like biden decided to make ai like um legislation after he watched like mission impossible the new one like because there's like an ai villain so we need to like we need to do we need to like show him like a day without Mexican or something like like show him a movie that he's like, this is terrible. <laughs> you know what I mean? This is terrible, Jack. Like we can't have a day without these people. You know, so show him a movie that'll freak him out, you know. And just to like be like, we need to help him. I support yeah. that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh for more information, also check out the Resurrection Project, uh, also out of Illinois. Uh they're they're the ones sort of like, you know, 
uh, spearheading this thing. So that'll be uh, that'll be great. Um, yeah, thank you both so much for sharing your time and your story and your resources and information with us. Um, I'll see, uh, will you both be on uh, out there on the fourteenth? Yes. Yeah. All right. We'll be there. So yeah. I'll see you both on the fourteenth. Hopefully, I can get you back on the camera live so we can talk to people about you know you know about about what we're doing there on that day. So I, I really appreciate your time and uh, and take care of yourself. Stay safe. Thank you, Chad. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Sam. Appreciate it. Thank bye you. bye. Thank, Thank you. Like, subscribe, and comment at my undocumented ass podcast on TikTok and YouTube. Hey, hold right there. Don't dare skip this. This is an important message. Me and my boy, Albert Davis, we want to tell you about our podcast, Seriously, Dad. Albert, why should they listen? Because it's the best podcast in the world. It's by two comedians who are dads. And you know what we're talking about? Being dads. It's called Seriously, Dad. Check us out on social media at Seriously, Dad Podcast. And anywhere you get your podcast, that's where we're at. We're funny. We got some great guests coming our way. We cover the topics you want to hear. Check us out. This has been a Drop Tent Media production.